0: Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Last week, we began a short series of messages uh, centered around Isaiah's vision of heavenly worship, there is found in Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, we looked at also. As we launched out on that, several admonitions in the Bible that call us to worship the Lord. So the the whole premise for this series of messages is that if there's something that the Lord has so diligently called us to do, I think it's worth our time and the due diligence to be sure that we are executing in an effective manner that we're not just simply going through the motion or wasting our time wasting our breath but we are we're doing it to the best of our ability the word says whatever your hand finds to do do it heartily as to the Lord right so certainly the things that God has called us to we want to be doing those things as well as we possibly can I know that you are a people who are passionate about worship I know that uh, you don't want to do, that what you don't want to do is go through the motion uh, to learn that in the end it was something that wasn't acceptable to the Lord. So, anyway, doing doing things unto the Lord, however, is not gauged by our ability, Uh, it's not gauged by our outward form, it's not by the poise of our function, but it's by the posture of our heart as we're doing those things unto the Lord. So, in in Isaiah's vision here, in chapter 6, this prophet of God is given a vision that is a glimpse into heavenly worship. And there's so much. This this text is just rich. I mean, there's so many things we could say about this text and so many different directions we could take with it, but we're going to focus here on the act of worship as it's happening there around the throne of the Lord. So if you have your Bibles with you, Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to, again, the very same text that we read last week, and we're going to read again next week, we're going to read today. And it simply says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood Seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet and with two he flew and one cried to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the posts of the door were shaken in the voice of him who cried out uh, with the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke so i said woe is me for i am undone Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? then i said here am i send me as we see contained in isaiah's vision there are these winged angelic beings that are encircling the very throne of god and they are engaged in the worship of the great i am and isaiah describes each one of these beings as having six wings and he tells of a function of each of those wings, sets of wings, and I believe those things have significance for us that relate to a proper posture as we worship the Lord together. Last week, we spoke about the two wings with which they covered their face, and we said that those two wings denoted reverence before the Lord as we approach the Lord in worship. We do so with reverence. We should reverence the things of God. We talked about how irreverent this generation has become and uh, we talked about a need for a return to reverence especially for the things of the Lord this this week we're going to talk about the two with which the seraphim covered their feet and uh, we spoke last uh, we spoke about the angels covering their face as I said as how they worship the Lord with reverence now and we talked about how reverence looks also for you and I It's not as simple as being quiet in church and not moving around. Uh, It's it's honoring the fact that the Holy Spirit of God is here in this place to minister to hearts and with an awareness that we don't want to do anything to distract or to hinder. You see, so many times we think that just a simple modification of behavior is what's needed. But it's not the modification of behavior necessarily that's needed. Because how many of you learned there were certain things you didn't do in church because it was irreverent? You don't do that in church. You don't do that in church. Well, you don't do this in church. And we didn't do those things, and we never really did understand the heart of the matter. So we just had a list of things we did do and things that we didn't do, things that were reverent and things that were irreverent. But what we need to return to, I mean, you can, you can be here quiet as a mouse this morning, and as we covered last week, loud is not necessarily irreverent, so keep that in mind. So if you want to shout amen, help preach the message this morning, that's great. I received that and, and hope you will. But talking about issues of reverence, sometimes we will refrain from doing things because They're irreverent, but we never get a hold of the fact that in our hearts we still want to. And where reverence begins is not in the action, but it's in the heart. So anyway, today's message obviously is not on reverence, but it's it's about something different. So as we move to this next phrase here, the prophet says, with two he covered his feet. Now, if you dig into that original meaning there, as as the prophet is speaking here, that word for feet may be actually may, may be used to actually be descriptive of one's feet or the whole lower half of the body. Whatever is meant here in this context is certain that this angelic being is covering for what would be the same or equal to us as our mode of mobility. The way that we get places, the way that we get around, more specifically in the spiritual realm, it signifies our walk. Our walk with the Lord. Now, that, I don't know about you, but for me, that is a point of frailty. How many of you are able to walk in the manner worthy of? that the Lord has called you under your own power. None of us. We're we're all broken in that regard. We're all marred in that regard. And and here is this angelic being that's there with his feet covered. And I believe that what he is expressing here is humility. He's expressing humility there because I want to tell you in, in layman's terms what this angel is saying here. He's saying basically there he is in the presence of Almighty God And the basics of what's being said is here, it wasn't these feet that got me here. It wasn't my walk that got me here. It wasn't my ability to be good that earned me passage into the presence of God. I can't walk straight enough to walk into the presence of God. How about you? All that these feet can do is yield to the leadership of the holy spirit that's all tell your neighbor look at your neighbor tell them i didn't get here by myself i didn't get here by myself you didn't get saved by yourself the holy spirit drew you you you're you're not being sanctified by yourself you didn't open up the word of the Lord and understand it by yourself the Lord, the spirit of God illuminated your understanding, you're not walking in victory today by yourself you're not overcoming challenges and struggles in the spirit by yourself, but as we wait upon the Lord our strength is being renewed like eagles, we can run and not be weary, we can walk and not faint, we can fight the good fight of faith through Christ Jesus who gives us strength but not by myself the covering of the feet represents the realization of human frailty before a holy God they are saying it wasn't these feet that brought me into the presence of God it wasn't these feet that justified by being here or any merit of my own upon which I stand I want to define, as we're talking about humility this morning, and I know that's a rousing subject for most of us, but uh, I want to define, as we begin to talk about humility this morning, from the dictionary here. It simply says this, in ethics, it's the freedom from pride and arrogance. Humbleness of mind, a modest estimate of one's own self-worth. In theology, humility consists in lowliness of mind, a deep sense of one's own unworthiness in the sight of God, self-abasement, penitence for sin, and the submission to the divine will. And that's great, and I appreciate the dictionary. How many of you are glad that you've got a dictionary? Somebody says a word you don't understand, you can go to that thing, pull it out, it's great. But for us, when we want a definitive answer about the meaning of something, Our end all is not the dictionary, but it's the Bible. So I want to go here and give you a definition of humility from the Bible, and it's found in Romans 12 and verse 3, and it says this, For though I say through the grace given me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Humility is not thinking of oneself. I don't believe that message could be conveyed any clearer than Paul did to the church at Rome. Humility is a healthy self-awareness of who we are in relation to a holy God. Isaiah had that same revelation as he stood there and saw that angelic worship happening there around the throne of God. What was his response to it? when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filling the temple and all of the glory and the grandeur of that moment and he gazed upon the holiness of God, he said, woe is me, for I am undone. My righteousness, Isaiah will go on to write later and we'll cover it, that his righteousness, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God. Let me, there there are so many things in this life that are aimed against our spiritual success. How many of you just find the walk in victory to just be a real gingerly stroll? How many of you find more so that you're fighting for every inch? Every every foot's a battle. It's, It's just ongoing and And there's always that attack of the adversary. And there are many things in this life that are uh, aimed against our spiritual success. And there are a number of of those things aimed against our ability to be humble. I don't believe there's ever been a part of us that is more vulnerable to the attack of the adversary than our ego. Do Do you know why the devil is so good at attacking us through our ego and our own selfish pride because he knows firsthand the power, the allure of that situation. It's what got the devil himself in trouble. Now maybe you're new to church and this information is brand new to you or perhaps you're you're seasoned, but it's just not something that we talk about a whole lot. But I want to remind you here this morning from Isaiah chapter 14 how the devil came to be the devil. See, he wasn't always the devil. He was Lucifer, son of the morning. He was heaven's worship leader more or less. But then he had this little bout of pride. His ego swelled up in him and he says this, how you are fallen, this is Isaiah 14 beginning in verse 12, how you are fallen, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high God. That's why Paul writes to the Roman church and says, let us not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. This is is the boast of the created being above its creator. He says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God and I will be like the Most High. Can I tell you this from Proverbs chapter 16? It says this, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's an easy trap. It's an easy trap for us to begin to think of ourselves as more than we really are. It's an easy trap. It's been happening now for centuries, for centuries. It just, it wreaks havoc. Mister, one day you're going to be at work And somebody's gonna pass you by and you thought you had been aging you thought your gut was getting big and your hair was falling out and all of a sudden somebody's gonna look at you and smile one of those little smiles and your ego is gonna rise up be careful Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit. You're no more after she smiled than you were before. Let me read you this from Luke chapter 18. We begin in verse 10. It says this Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself God, I thank you. That I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Oh Lord, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. I'm a good boy. I've done well. I'm doing better than those around me. How many of you base your spiritual walk on how much better you're doing than than the folks around you? Don't do that. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, Pharisees were a people who studied the law. They knew the word, but if they were not careful, but if we're not careful, our familiarity can lead us to a place where we thought it was our own idea, where we begin to think. You you hear it a lot in society. You hear it a lot in the business world about being self-made men and self-made women. And if we're not careful... If we're not careful even in things of the spirit we can know so much we can we can we can have could have memorized scripture we can know every principle and every precept to the point that we really feel like we're somebody We can even know so many things that, like the Pharisee, we begin to feel like we're a little bit better than those around us. But can I tell you today, the ground is level at Calvary. There are no plateaus, there are no echelons. The guy beside me is just as saved and redeemed as I am. I may be a little more spiritually mature, but I'm no better off than he is. I'm no more unworthy... Of the grace of God, or He's no more unworthy of God's grace than I am. Now, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 8, and it says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. We know. Don't you? You all know how to do church, don't you? I mean, you've been a few times now. You know how it works. We come in, we stand up, we sing the song, we sit down, we take the offering, we stand back up. We play the video, we sit down, we preach the word, we stand back up. And there's things that you do and things that you don't do, and we all, we're all good with that. And then we see somebody come in who doesn't know. And their kids are loud. And they're a little bit disorderly themselves. And they didn't dress right. Paul says we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Sometimes we, we who have knowledge, we look at those who have not. Just about like I'm looking at Lee right now. But the truth of the matter is, when we come before the presence of the Lord, we who have knowledge and we who have not are all right here on the same plane, right? Okay. So, I've known people who knew a lot, but exercised little of what they know and It was apparent that they felt, though, as if their knowledge was gaining them some kind of righteousness or had perfected them in some kind of way. Can I tell you today that pride is an easy song to sing? It's an easy song to sing. You want to hear it? Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Can't wait to look in the mirror, because I get better looking each day. Oh, goodness. Let me... Moving right along. Can I tell you something, though? God hates pride. You say, Pastor, I don't know. God's love. God don't hate... God. No, here, Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. I don't know if you caught that or not, but God said, hey, I'm going to make a little list of some things that I hate. Number one, pride. Number one on the, number one, not two, three, four, five, or six. Number one, the number one thing here when God said, hey, let me make a list of the things I hate. A proud look. There it is. Worship from a pride-filled heart will not be accepted by God. Worship from a pride-filled heart will not be accepted by God. You say, Pastor, give me chapter and verse. Okay, James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Psalm 101, verse 5 says this, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. And the one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, I will not endure. I will not endure. Let me tell you something. Today, you're a lovely group of people. Wonderful. I, I, I tell my wife sometimes, she's, she's over here. She's sitting back here. I'm all, let me tell you how messed up I am today. My wife always sits right here on the second row. But her parents are visiting today, and she's sitting back here with them. And uh, it's, it's almost the same situation those couple of times when, when Alma Jean and Bondrew sit over there. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. I don't, I'm not sure I can do this today. <laughs> but I, I have met some wonderful people in this congregation and, and many of you encourage me. I know it's my place to stand here and exhort and edify, but, but of the people I've met in this place, some of you encourage me, and it's iron sharpening iron, and, and encourage and draw me to be a better person, a better believer, a better person in Christ. But can I tell you today, myself, you, nobody else in this room, you didn't get to where you're at today by yourself. It wasn't your walk. It wasn't your ability to keep the law and walk in perfection that got you where you are today. You see, here's the thing. You and me, we're all like turtles on a fence post. This guy. (laughs) you see that guy right there? If you run across this guy, there's one thing that you can be sure of. He did not get there by himself. Somebody helped him to get where he's at. We are, we're all like that turtle, you know, when, when we think there's something good about us, there's one thing we can be sure of. It's not of our own making. But it's the grace of God working effectively in our lives. So when we come and we stand and we worship, we don't say, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like the person three aisles over, like this guy behind me, like the person in front of me. God, I I do this. I've attended Sunday school. I've given. I tithe. I do these things and that thing. Lord, look at all I've done. But true worship stands in humility and says, God, God, I don't know how I got here. But I know it wasn't me. It was you, Lord. It was all you. It was your grace. It was your mercy. It was your long-suffering, O Lord, that got me to where I am today. I don't take any credit for it, but I give you the glory and the praise and all the honor because it's all due to you and the finished work of Calvary and the work of your Holy Spirit in my life that I can stand here today redeemed and justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul says to the Roman church, in me, that is in my flesh, there is no good thing. There is no good thing. Let me tell you something. If God took his gracious hand off of your life for just a minute, you'd be as vile and wretched as anybody else out there on that street for just just one minute. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all like an unclean thing. All of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Can I tell you today, pride is a terrible thing, and God hates pride. But humility is required by God. Humility is a requirement of God. Micah chapter 6, another Old Testament prophet. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Can I tell you something? Humility is a step of faith. Humility is probably the greatest step of faith. One of. Because humility calls for self-sacrifice. And that's never an easy thing. Because any time that there's a call for humility anytime there's a call for us to humble ourselves the question always comes in out of out of our own pride and our own ego well who's going to take care of me who's who's going to look out for number one if i if i'm not but can i tell you that if you're willing to take this step of faith this huge step of faith that there's an attending promise of god for this step of faith Psalm 147 verse 6 says the Lord lifts up the humble, but he casts the wicked down to the ground. Proverbs 29, 23 says a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. James 4:10 says humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. 1 Peter 5 6 says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. I want to share with you this word in conclusion here this morning. It's a quote from F.B. Meyer, and he says this I used to think that the gifts of God were on shelves, one above another, and the taller we grow, the easier we can reach them now I find that God's gifts are on shelves one beneath another and the lower we stoop the more we get Lord help me Lord help me As it pertains to this word today, God, I can stand here today as chief of sinners. Lord, it is hard to be humble. If we get one thing right, we're so quick to credit ourselves, to pat ourselves on the back. As if we've done something grand or glorious. Sometimes, Lord, even our service to you, we want to boast. We want to let everybody know what we've done, what we've accomplished. how effective we have been. But Lord, your word says that no glory, no flesh will glory in your presence. Yeah, we might come with boldness. Boldness in your finished work, but not in the goodness of who we are. Because, Lord, without you, we are abased. We are depraved. We need you, Lord. I want to invite you to stand all over this congregation this morning. We're going to spend a moment here in conclusion just worshiping the Lord together. humbling ourselves before him. Would you just slip a hand to heaven right now? Would you just slip a hand to heaven right now and begin to thank God? Like the tax collector, like the one who recognized his own unworthiness, like Isaiah who cried, Woe is me for I am undone. Would you just begin to lift the name of Jesus and say, thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my life. Thank you, Lord, for what you continue to do in my life, for the new revelations that you are giving me, for the things that you're showing me, for the things that you're teaching me, oh God. Lord, I realize that I've not suddenly stumbled upon wisdom, Lord, but by your grace, you've given it Liberally to all those that ask. Lord, I realize that I've not attained, but Lord, every milestone that I've passed, I've passed by the leadership of your Holy Spirit, the direction of your presence in my life. Lord, all I've had to be was obedient enough to follow, to walk in the path that you directed. I didn't get here by myself. Lord, you have orchestrated a grand design over my life. You've called me out of darkness and into your marvelous light. You've revealed your word to me. You've revealed Calvary's purpose to me. You've made it real, your word to my life, oh God. Now, Lord, as the great hymn writer wrote, I can stand in agreement. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It's not of works lest any man should boast. But it's your gift, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for moving in my life. Come on, church. Come on, church. Lift up the name of Jesus. Praise Him this morning. Hallelujah. Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.